Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, my name is Dan Huff from Twickenham CC. Welcome to the Middlesex County Cricket League podcast. Um, it's the first podcast we've done in a while because, of course, we are in a deep midwinter, but there's still a fair amount for me and my two partners in crime to chat through. As ever, Sal Ali from North London joins me. Sal, are you well? Good evening, Dan. I'm bro. Yeah, I'm well, actually. Yeah, I'm not, not too bad. I'm trying to plug through this winter, trying to keep positive and looking forward to a cricket season full of good weather and good cricket, hopefully. So, yeah. Well, last time we, in there. Yeah, last time we spoke, I think I was beginning to map out a journey around the Championships grounds for you with, with Arsenal, but that ain't happening anymore, is it? Uh, it's not going too bad. I mean, you know, three at the top and Moles Head aren't everyone else. There's, there's like another division below, isn't there? So, you know, if we can keep chipping away, get, get some wins and, you know, I mean, fourth is a, is, a, is a potential, but, you know, I think top six is more realistic. Yeah, and fifth at the moment, looking good after that pretty average start. Um, yeah, things definitely picked up. Um with us tonight, my fellow um, Twickenham CC member, uh, Eugene Berger. How are you, Eugene? You well? Yeah, Dan. How are you doing? I'm, uh, I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, in the middle of hibernation and I've, uh, I've learned a little bit about football. Our listeners will be happy to know. And I've actually wow. now decided my allegiance for a football team. And well, you're, no, you're never going to guess which one it is, right? Well, for the sake of your health and well-being at our cricket club, it probably better be Brentford. It, it is. It is. Ah. <laughs> That, that's for the best. But you do like a bit of rugby yeah. union as well, Eugene. I mean, I've been of South African origin. How was your last game? Did it go well? I can't, I can't remember. Um, was that the World Cup final, Dan, or was that... No, no, it was... The... You've you played, <laughs> you played since then, even I know that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I was at that game when England beat South Africa by a point. What a what a cracking game of rugby. And yeah, just, just you know, you win some, you lose some. But, you know, the ones that you win, hopefully they come with a... A nice big trophy, which uh, which the last time we played, we did come with a big trophy. So yeah, that is a decent repost. That's a decent repost. You you got a pot with yours. We didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair <laughs> call. I say we as, as if I care. Not not really a rugby union guy at all. Um, m- moving back to, to to other more pressing matters. Um, 
we've all been watching a bit of cricket this week, I guess. Um, not five days, was it? Because it wasn't five days to watch. Um, Sal, before we get on to the county league, are we going to lose 5-0? I did predict that to someone when they asked me about it. I mean, they're going to have to really get their act together, aren't they? You know, um, this week, this one's a big one, isn't it, on, two, on Thursday? Yeah. Anderson brought back in the side. Day nighter should suit them. It'll be near the venues. You'd think that's the one where they could get a result. Um, but it's never good losing your first test in, in, in a long series. You know, are they undercooked? Are they, have they, you know, have they prepared well enough? These are questions I'm sure, you know, we can talk about. But I, I do feel the next one is going to be really, really will decide the series, I imagine, at a delayed day-night test. Yeah, I mean, it was a funny old test match, wasn't it? I mean, I bet Joe Root was, was hoping and praying that he was going to lose the toss. You win the toss, you put them in. Well, you, you do what Nasser Hussain did years ago. Uh, you win the toss and bat, and you do what we did this time. Uh, you don't score any runs. So I bet he would have loved to have lost the toss and just, just gone with the flow on that. Um, Hughes, did he get his team wrong? I don't think he did, actually. Um, you know, maybe it, maybe this is a stroke of, of brilliance that uh, the, the English um, management have, has done. I mean, Crikey, I you honest, are being generous. Stage, this is a very generous start <laughs> to this contribution. I'm, I'm all ears. I didn't think the test was going to go three days at one stage until the Milan and Roots innings uh, or partnership in that second innings. But yeah, I mean, you know, two cells point, they just looked undercooked. And I think the reason behind that is because if you look at the warm up matches that they had, I think they were all pretty much rained out. So, you know, I don't think there has been any preparation time from that perspective. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the selection, we can we can talk about that. Was it the right thing? You know, Hazelwood sounds like he's out of the second test now, which is going to be important. Um, you know, Broad and Anderson coming back. Who knows? Maybe, maybe the English management did. You know, did you know have a, a card up their sleeves and, and have played their their cards correctly? But you're a brave old soul, though. If your if your strategy is to get absolutely whipped in the first test and then come back and win the series, I mean, we haven't done that since the 1950s. So, um, so I mean, do you think it could actually be a masterstroke to bring to be bringing, I guess, both Anderson and Broad? You know, how, how old? How many years is that between them? Seventy odd years. In for, in for these test matches? Is that the way? I suppose they are day-nighters, which should help them with the ball a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, I think I think I remember hearing when I was listening to one of the commentary teams, it's the first time that neither Broad or Anderson have played in a test since 2005. Exactly, 2005. So, yeah, from that perspective, look, you know, it's, it'll be great to have both of them back. I, I, I don't know if there's any injuries to the current bowlers in the England side. You know, I think look, I think they did fantastically well. I just think, unfortunately, the batters let them down. But again, that comes down to preparation. Yeah, well, I, I mean, you, you bowled a bit of spin in your day, Sal. What was your take on Leach? I mean, he, he looked to me as if they targeted him, and he didn't really have a response. Was he was he thrown a hospital pass, or, or or is is he is he better than he showed? Is what I'm sort of getting at. Because I certainly hope the answer might be yes. I mean, you'd hope so, but again, I just feel it's one of those ones where. How much have they played and how much time has he had? You know, I mean, he's obviously bowling the nets, I imagine, but nothing beats being out in the middle, does it, really? And playing mm. um, against your, you know, your position side. But maybe it, it was just hit him out of the attack and then target, you know, him as, as, a, as a guy who try and get their runs off. Um, I mean, in terms of Anderson and Broad, I think Wood is, he can't play five tests. He'd just be, I don't think his body can handle it. Um, and also, you know, the way he bowls and his, his, his history of injuries. Imagine that's why you're looking at Anderson and Broad to come back in. Maybe him missing out. I'm not sure who else will miss out as well. But I mean, as much as I think he's a great cricketer, but a lot of time for Wood. You know, really, really passionate, passionate guy, and lots of energy. I just think he's the one who's going to do enough to manage him as well in terms of his workload. 
Yeah, I mean, I think if if, if I were uh, asked my contribution on this, I, I'd, I'd get rid of Wood, to be honest with you, um, and I, and Leach. Um, and I'll get rid, that's the wrong phrase. I wouldn't pick Wood in this test. I'd bring Anderson and Broad back. W- whether that's the way I'd have played it from the beginning is another matter, but we are where we are, you know, and, and we, we, we need bowlers who can who can do a bit more with the ball, I think. I think, uh, you know, I think Robinson did pretty well in the first test, but the rest of the bowling yeah. has to step up to the plate a little bit, doesn't it? I'm, I'm not sure we can give them a complete free pass on this one. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I felt... Sorry for them at one stage. I mean, Robinson looked like he was getting cramped or he was he was off of the field for a couple of times for a couple of hours. Um, you know, Stokes looks like he was he was looking about like he's about to injure himself. Uh, Leach was gaining it, it what it felt like ten over pretty much every over. Um, yeah, it was just you know unfortunately the, the you know, great batting by the Aussies. You've got to give them credit where credit's due. Um, but yeah, I mean you know onto the second test as they say you know sweep that yeah. one under the rug and. And we move on. Wouldn't mind Stokes keeping his foot behind the line occasionally, just once in a while as well. That'd, that'd be quite useful. Yeah. So it's amazing how many times it's happened to Warner. Did you see that? That's happened to him nine times or something. I might have it wrong. I might be embellishing there. I think wow. it's happened to I, him. I, I wasn't aware of anything with Warner, but that, that is interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's happened to him many, many times, apparently. Um, I think it, it is. It's, it's something like five, something around yeah. there. Before we get onto the MCCL stuff, um, which, which I guess is core business for, for us guys, Sal, last question on this: um, When a test match starts at midnight, how do you how do you get through it? What's your strategy? I mean, I have a quite a specific way of dealing with it, but um, what, what's yours? Do, do, do you stay up a little bit, say till lunch, or is that just too much? Are you an early riser? I mean, when I'm at work, when I'm at work, it's, I can't do it. I'm, yeah. I'm just I love my sleep, so I, I'm, I wake up in the morning, check the phone straight away, and see what's happened, and try and catch some highlights. Um, when I'm off work, then yeah, I normally do like a first session and sort of bail out around sort of two a.m. in the morning once lunch is taken. The two a.m. to two forty is a killer, isn't it? If I get through to two a.m., there's no chance of going any further because that forty minutes takes about three days in in, in my cold yeah, living room in the middle of winter. How about you, Huge? What's your strategy with this? Well, for the first test, I sort of try to stay up as much as I could. Uh, one one of the mornings, I went to bed at five. Look, you've got to be working from home, right? Um, I was up at nine, yeah. back at work, but yeah, I mean, five up, five to nine, rolling out of bed onto onto Teams and Zooms calls. But yeah, I, I stayed up and watched a lot of it, and I think um, on the day when um, when when the second innings for England, I watched until about one, went to sleep, and then woke up at four to continue watching. So yeah, and then that's when you know Root and Milan started putting on that big partnership. So it was good to watch the end of that. I think it finishes around seven thirty, right? Maybe eight somewhere around yeah, there. Yeah. So yeah, but look, as you said, the second test is going to have you know hopefully a little bit more sociable hours. I say that just waking up a bit earlier, right? Yeah. Look, given I mean I'm impressed with that, huge. Given that as a South African, you don't really have a horse in this race, but you're still putting in quite frankly more more time at the coal face than, than than I was. But I suppose when England are getting battered as well, the the, the inclination to stay up till two a.m. or to get up at five a.m. Let's just say it's not as strong as it might otherwise have been. If we're competitive, then I think I might burn that candle a bit. But not a great deal of inclination to do that for the first test. You're right, though, about the hours for the second test. It should be much more amenable, right? We're talking, what, 4 a.m. start, maybe? Is that what we worked out before? Yep, that's right. So 4 a.m. start, which means hopefully people will, I don't know, hopefully. Depends, again, on people's working situations, but I reckon people will be going to bed earlier and then waking up at 4. Seems like a more normal hour to be watching cricket if you are going to watch cricket at any at any early hours of the morning. Well, my go-to point there was 6.40. 
because you know there's no not much point being up between six and six forty because there won't be too much on. But six six forty till eight forty that that should be doable even with my kids running around and being on the school run. Um, and I guess you'd sort of be the same, Sal. Would you? You definitely get a bit of live cricket in before you went to work. Oh, definitely. Yeah, the day and night. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, mm. I'll get up early and watch a bit. And when I'm driving to work, have the radio on. So TMS um, can keep me updated until I get into work. Yeah. Eugene, I was going to say to you, but isn't five of them normally your sort of getting in time from cricket teams anyway, normally? So. You see, I'm, <laughs> I'm in hibernation now. You see, so I'm in hibernation mode now. So, yeah, but, okay, all right. you know, thanks for pointing out my, my extramural activities in, during the summer. It's, <laughs> it's well known by, by everyone, it sounds. He's a social guy, Sal. He's a social guy. He likes to make well, sure everyone's he okay. He's got to be in his role. You know, he's got to make sure everyone looks after well and be the last person to leave and lock up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving a bit closer to home, Sal, we have an AGM on the horizon, 11th of January, as uh, most people will know. Now, AGM's not always the, the, the highlight of everybody's cricketing year, um, but they're quite important things. Um, and I think Nick Brown has made a real effort to, to try and be uh, or to try and encourage more people who play the game. To, to attend AGMs, quite difficult this year because it goes without saying there are COVID limitations uh, on the AGM. We are trying to have it in person at the moment. Whether that that lasts the next sort of week or so, we will see. But um, one member from each club going to be in person at Ealing on the 11th of uh, of January. Now, there's been a list of things sent round that um, the league needs to discuss. And I don't think we need to go through all of them in great deal. Some of these are, are by definition, um, um, you know, small things, you know, minor changes to rules. But I think there are a few relatively big issues that have come up over the past few weeks and months that, that might be worth a quick air in now. What, what caught your eye most immediately, Sal? Anything in particular that's going to come up then? Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very comprehensive kind of um, agenda sent through, which can be read on the MCCL website if you, don't, if you haven't received it at your club. Um, there are some issues coming up. One of them we, we spoke off air was about the um, penalisation of turn up late um, and who, who, who would get the points and the, the, the time you have to get to the game. And if you're not there by a certain time, what could actually happen? So I know you spoke That's last year. That's a good one. About... Should we start with that one? I'm intrigued to hear your, your, your take on that one. Because to be clear, up until now, a team could arrive late and one would assume in good faith and then the game would be adjusted. The number of overs would be reduced if necessary um, because of that lateness. And I guess the logic is that it's, it's sometimes pretty awkward to get from Winchmore Hill to Teddington. Um, but it's going to change now to a series of, um, of punishments, isn't it? Ranging from you, you will not be able to claim the toss through to if you're really late, you're going to forfeit the game. Well, what's your take on that, Sal? Is it the way to go? I mean, if, if it's a, you know, if you, if you guys happened last year going to Bronsbury, you know, it couldn't be avoided situation of you getting stuck on the motorway because there'd been a massive car crash and unfortunate fatalities as well. Um, so I think there should be yep, some right. discretion, I would hope, within within captains. If, if you're making regular contact and explaining why you're going to be late and is that dialogue taking place, then I think it's fair enough. But if you have a side that rolls up at, you know, half past one or, you know, beyond one o'clock and no explanation and there's been no conversation taking place, prior to the game, then surely you need to enforce regulation and the rules that have been set out by the league. But again, I think you'd hope there is some kind of, you know, discretion involved if there is a bona fide reason and there's been communication between the captains or the clubs beforehand prior to the fixture. That's my view. Yeah, and no, I think we need to, to, to discuss this a little bit at the AGM because it's quite an interesting point, isn't it? In that 
the case that you talked about there with Bronsbury, I was leading our third team for my sins um, way back in May, and there was a horrible case on the um, uh, on the a uh, on the North Circular where where there was a crash, the road was closed, and people died. So it was clearly serious. And I was in pretty constant radio contact with their skipper. We did get to the ground. We were we were two hours late, and we had a shortened game. And to be honest, it was all fine. And, and Bronsbury won because they were much stronger than we were. Um, but not every case is going to be as clear cut as that. As that is there, and there might well be someone who turns up an hour late with his team and says, "Oh, look, something happened. We're really sorry we're late, um, but we, 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 don't, we obviously we don't want to concede the game." I mean, huge. What, what, there's discretion there, right? And I guess that might potentially lead to problems, no? Yeah, I mean, I think there needs to be hard and fast rules, um, and there's a reason for that. Is because anything open to interpretation, you know, could lead to an example of what's happened today in the Formula One. The competitive power of parking. The dinky yeah, exactly cars. That one. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in Max Verstappen's case, uh, Dodgems. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking for ooh, Max ooh, fans like out there. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, by the way, I'm, I'm not a fan of either of them. But but yeah, I think there, there needs to be hard and fast rules, not open to interpretation. So therefore, if somebody does arrive or a side does arrive an hour after the game, then the points are, are you know, given to the opposition. Not a, it's on discretion, therefore, um, yeah, I'll speak to the, the captain or the, the, the club committee. It needs to be hard and fast because as soon so as you So you'd advocate putting... for, and, and to be clear, we're just three blokes talking cricket. We're not talking for the league or anything here. We're just yeah. talking through these yeah. ideas. You would advocate, advocate for, if, if folks are over an hour late, for example, and they haven't got seven men there, for example, then they forfeit the game, no matter whether they've got six men there or no matter what their captain says. Yeah, agreed. Because it, it leaves it open to interpretation and there's too many issues about he said, she said. It'll come down to, you know, there's going to be examples of when, uh, you know, somebody can't arrive. Therefore, you know, it's happened to two sides. The normal circuit is a good example. Um, does it affect more than one side on a day like that? It's just open to too much interpretation. So um, instead of it being a negotiation, set out, the, define the rules and, and stick to them throughout the season. Okay. I think that might be what Nick's planning, Sal, right? To, to actually have rules that, where there isn't interpretation. I'll have to look at it in more detail myself. That's what it, is says, that the so, yeah. it, so it says to um, yeah. insert a new paragraph, and that is exactly what Eugene just said there about if you don't turn up with the proposed number of players before the game starts and you're more than um, half an hour late, then you will be subject to losing the game and points awarded to the opposition, also subject to disciplinary action at discretion of the league executive. So that is something that's going to be proposed. Mm. Um, at the next is is that just one person? So an example they sell if if one person's more than half an hour late, they if cannot the side play. Does not still have seven players present thirty minutes after schedule start, then the match will be awarded to the team not at full with maximum points. Cool. So you can still play with ten, and if that eleventh player arrives three hours yeah. later, yeah, yeah. So if you've play. got if you've okay. got seven, you can start the game. But if you have less than seven, yeah. then obviously and if you, you will lose the game. And if you arrive after the scheduled. And uh, at the time when the toss should have been made, then you won't forfeit the game, but you will forfeit the toss. So if you've got seven men, uh, then you could well find yourself field in with seven men. And the logic would be, well, you should have got there on time and, and, and deal with it, I guess. Now, the interpretation there is that 11 players, because in some leagues, I think that's the rule. You have to have all 11 players there at the time of the scheduled toss or you forfeit it. Or is that, again, seven? No, it won't, won't be 11. Have you got, have you got a word in front of the That'd be in the constitution. that would be something to look up and come back to. Yeah. Yeah. So it says, hello, is, see, sorry, Jim, if, you, um, says, if one of the sides has fewer than seven yeah. players, 
present the latest permitted time for the toss, it shall be deemed to have lost the toss. So fewer than seven players. Yeah, so that's obviously saying seven or more mm. is okay then, I imagine. Mm. Yeah. My bigger point was more about AGMs, actually, just to back up what you're saying. AGMs are important because this mm. stuff gets discussed. And it's no good turning up at the end of April saying, well, that's wrong. Well, you know, <laughs> the, the clubs have voted it through because we are, uh, for better or worse, um, a, a league of members clubs. So um, if you're listening to this and you're not quite sure where your club stands, then do, do speak to whoever is going to turn up at the AGM because they're going to have a vote on this. And if you don't like it, now's the time to, now's the time to say. Um, do you think it'll get through, fellas, out of interest? What's your instinct? Do you think clubs will support not? I mean, why would you not propose and thought, why would you not vote for that? I mean, yeah. it's going to be a rare occurrence, I suppose, isn't it? You know, um, but if you, if, you know, if you have 11 players travelling to the game, you'd hope at least 10 could get there on time and start the game um, of your 11, you know, yeah. but... Well, I think only once in playing 35 years of playing senior cricket have I been, been involved in a game where we would have forfeited it under those conditions and we've already talked about it. It was last year and, you know, it's clearly not something that's happened that frequently. So I, my instinct is that it, it makes sense. Get, get a bit of rigour in all of this. Yeah, agreed. But we will see where we go. That was the first point that came up. Sam, was anything else you saw on the um, list there that may, may be um, worthy that of note? Nothing really sort of came to note. Just looking for it now. No, just some deletions mm-hmm. of... Um, Centres and then they're adding in different sort of bits to paragraphs that are really in there. So, yeah, I'd say, yeah, you, you, if you go to the AGM or if you um, have one of your representatives going to it, and obviously speak to them afterwards and make sure you're filled in and what actually takes place. But, yeah. And it's one yeah, per club, right? Again, yeah, it's definitely one club. For this yeah, AGM, yeah. And it's at? Yeah, it's not Ealing. Is that Ealing, yeah. Yeah. I believe a number of clubs put their put themselves forward for, for as a potential host, which is always generously uh, noted. But Ealing's location generally wins out because it's sort of in the middle, and um, I think it's a lot of sense on a wet, whatever it is, Tuesday night in January um, to, to try and get people travelling as to, to somewhere that's relatively close to them. So Ealing, it is seven thirty kickoff. Um, if you've not if you've not seen the details and you'd like to, then do do get in touch with whoever your club rep is, and they'll they'll no doubt. Um, pass it on to you. Um, over and beyond that, something else came up that I thought might be of, uh, w- worth a, a quick chat on this one, and that's indoor cricket. Now, we're not going to talk about that at the AGM, I'd have thought, but um, there's been more discussion of it within Middlesex, and, and you've been following this a little yeah, bit, right? Yeah, slightly. I mean, Paul, Paul's mentioned this to me because his, his club takes part in this. So there is an indoor combat that takes place um, during the month of December, so obviously now. Um, and from, from the looks of it, I'm not sure where it takes place. I did try and find that beforehand, but couldn't get the answer I needed. But it takes place um, three weekends in December. There's three groups, A, B and C, um, four clubs in each section playing against each other all in one day. So it takes. So if you're in Group A, all the games are played in one day and Group B exactly the same and C is the same. So I'm not sure if from that there is some kind of finals day where winners or semi-finals will come and play off to see the champion. But... Um, it's good to see um, you know, a mixture of clubs taking part. We've got some of our senior members like Finchley in it, I know Stanmore in it. Then you've got sort of newer clubs like Old Lives of taking part. So, I mean, something that's definitely um, going to continue from from the looks of it. And hopefully next year there'll be more clubs taking part who, who want to keep busy during those sort of you know, winter months when there's no cricket taking place on, on our lovely grounds. But it's not the first time indoor cricket's been played, though. This is quite a long-standing thing in Middlesex. Quite a few sides have played Middlesex cricket, uh, indoor cricket. I mean, it's going on for right? quite a while. I mean, if you look, there's the role of honours on here, and it goes back to 1980. Um, so mm. I'm just thinking now, is it growing more, though, now? Is it becoming more and more 
um, popular in the winter months. Where cause I know the Colts have one. The junior section there's one runner. I think it's been East London somewhere. We got a lot of you know Matrix playing during the winter, especially at North London. Um, other clubs as well do do it as well. So maybe more the senior section. But as I said, looking at um, the teams that take part in it, we've got some you know clubs that we all know and some sort of younger sort of clubs looking to get involved as well. So I mean. We can maybe find out in our next podcast who actually runs it or how it's run, and if the clubs are interested, then you know we can sort of feed them towards who, who who's involved in setting this up. Yeah, I think there's a lot of logic to that. I, th- I think you know most of our year is unfortunately played in non. It, it, we exist in a non-cricketing climate. You know, our league season's 18 games. We have a few friendlies either side, so that means it's the best part of 25 weeks where there's no outdoor cricket. So indoor cricket would make sense as a as a substitute there. And um, I, I think you know, given the, the amount of cricketers we have in Middlesex, it should be the type of initiative where where plenty of people would would support it if they knew more about it and um, we can perhaps play a role in a future podcast by talking a bit more about the history of Middlesex's tournament particularly if it goes all the way back to 1980 there's got to be some history somewhere um, and I don't know much about it so I think it might be good to flag it up I'm also interested to know huge um, because me and you might be talking completely different languages here there's an indoor cricket in South Africa right that's very very big all the South Africans I've ever met at Twickenham have played indoor cricket action cricket maybe action is that cricket, the name yeah. Yeah, talk me through that. That's a different type of game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, action cricket or or indoor cricket, as they call it, um, is uh, it's it's in in nets basically. So if you can imagine, it's the same sort of bays that you 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 net on in the winter in the winter months, if that makes sense. The difference is uh, the net's slightly uh, more flexible. Um, There's a back net, there's a top net, there's a you know there's there's a net basically all the way around. The ball's a little bit softer. Um, So that's the top net. So you get the ball into the top net, and it's what you can get caught void. Oh, yeah, no, you can get caught. Yeah, you can get caught of it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, funny enough, that was that was my first job. Um, you know, paid my way through university in South Africa. I was an action cricket umpire. So, yeah, no, no the rules. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. There we go. Uh, but there is still a league. It's uh, somewhere up in the Midlands now. Um, it used to be in Canary Wharf, and, and you know, there used to be an, an arena or a centre, as they called it. Um, but yeah, there's only there's there's now only one in the Midlands. So, if anybody is looking to play indoor cricket as as old. You have to travel all the way up to the, the Midlands to play, unfortunately, because um, there's no arenas local in London anymore. That's a bit of a sad indictment, isn't it, that we can't have one in the southeast of England? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a big expense when you think about it. You need a warehouse. There's, you know, normally these warehouses got three or four or five nets, depending on the size. Uh, and it's, you know, the nice thing about it is the action sport is is, is now diversifying. It's, they've brought out football. They've brought out um, uh, netball. They brought out obviously cricket, so you know it just depends on how how, how much of the year you want to play around. So, and the one I've thing... got this image, and it, it might be a bit unfair, but so so if you hit the ball into the net, then you can have very good cricketers scrabbling in nets to try and get the ball out while you're racing to the other end. Is that right? Well, well, well you that say the other end. Well, no, no, it's absolutely spot on. The difference is is that you actually don't run all the way to the uh, where the bowler's bowling from. You run to roughly halfway down, as an example, ah. um, and then you get different allocations for runs. If you hit it directly into the net, that's in the first half of the net, it's one. If you hit it into the back half of the net, on the sides, that is, it's two runs. There's obviously four and six for the back nets. Um, however, you can also run. So therefore, you could hit it into the back part of the net. That's on the side. Um, take a single. Because it hits the back net, you end up scoring four runs. So two for the side net, one for the run, one for hitting the back net, and the run, and the one you run. So you end up with four runs. Or you could hit a seven if you hit a six and take a single. Um, so you know, there's all sorts of different permutations in there. It's, it's quite well, if fun. You hit a six and take a single. Wait, wait, who's thinking this one through? Just, <laughs> it sounds bonkers. You say hit a six and take a single. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
You ever played an indoor I, cricket? I, I, I played one game actually about three or four years ago. So for an Australia friend of mine said to me, oh, you know, he doesn't play cricket at all, but his, his friends play. And they, they had a sign and said, come and play a game for them. It was so hard. I was well out. I was, I was like fish out of water. Didn't have a clue. You know, you think you yeah. turn up, you play cricket regularly and you'll be easy. It was so difficult. Because you get guys who actually who are skilled at this and this is what they do. Um, and yeah, as Eugene said, the scoring system was baffling me as it was. And then, you know, yeah, I really, really struggled. I didn't go back again. I wasn't asked back, let's put it that way. <laughs> but it's interesting because I think there are different forms of this as you go around, go around the world and you go around the country. And um, I, I grew up playing indoor cricket in, in a place that people may vaguely have heard of called Much Wenlock. Much Wenlock was um, where uh, the modern Olympic Games was was found a bit of inspiration. The guy called Penny Brooks met Pierre de Coubertin, who went off and uh, and took Penny Brooks's idea and created the modern Olympics. Much Wenlock, little, little small place in Shropshire that had an indoor centre to play cricket. And there, we didn't have any of those nets huge. We just had, you hit the back, it's four, full stop. You hit, you hit it without bouncing, it's six, full stop. Um, and you hit it anywhere else. Well, you get one if you hit the wall, wherever it is, and then you just run, best of luck. And if, and if you run, you've got two. Yeah. Um, and the skills were absolutely risky, really, because a lot of people, they'd either try and whack it and it just hit the roof. And if you hit the roof, you're out. Um, and so a lot of people were, were, were hitting it into the corners and just running down the other end and getting three. So you had two different approaches. You either had very risky players or just use the pace of the ball or people who just tried to hit it hard and straight. And, and both of them are quite useful. It's quite useful to hit the ball hard and straight. And it's also quite useful to, you know, to, to get your wrist going and, and to be able to, to, to play the ball you know, quite, quite deftly into a corner. But it's the Nets thing that confused me with action cricket. I, I wasn't aware that that was, that was part of it until... What you've got to remember is that, that this action cricket originated in Australia and they want to try and earn as much money as possible. I suppose that the cricket that you're talking about there, there's only one game on, one game going on at a time, isn't there? Exactly, Where, one hole. One hole. So if you've got a hole, you split it up into four um, four nets, you've got four games going on at the same time. Uh, yeah, OK. okay. And there's a World Championship in this thing as well, wasn't there? Is that right? Do I, do I remember hearing about that? There is. Um, you know, many, I mean, Australia, it's huge. South Africa, it's huge. Um, you have obviously, well, you know, there's a lot of international crickers, cricketers that actually play it. Um, obviously, in, in, in Australia and, and South Africa, um, there's what you always hear about the the guys in terms of what they're doing. Um, there's two schools of thought to it. The one, the one that we're talking about here, it can either do very well for your cricket or very bad. In a lot of instances, it does doesn't do very well for people's cricket because the technique you're trying to do is trying to hit the ball into the ground and then trying to get it to the top of the net so that a fielder can't reach it. If that makes sense, while you're busy scampering for one. So mm. it's sort of, I don't know, different people have different thoughts on it. Um, yeah. But it certainly picks up your fielding on the square. I've seen a number of guys, I mean, Clint McCabe, people who are listening to this pod may know, their fielding within 10 yards of the bat is ridiculous. They're throwing the ball through their legs. They've got, you know, they've got elastic arms. Back and it's flips. all because they've got, yeah, back flips. And I always think they're just, you know, what are you doing, your tarts? But it's not that at all. It's a skill to get the ball uh, to, to the right end as quick as, as possible. And, and I, I've never had anything even remotely close. And, and these guys, you, you, you train on it, don't you? It's what you do. It's how you run people out. Good, good. Last issue I wanted to flag up, again, not really AGM related, but it's come up within the confines of discussions this winter, and it's clearly about the County League. Um, Sal, you, you'll have seen this as well. Um, a statement was put on the County League website about payment of players and about discussions to do with payment of players, and it was tweeted out, and that there were the odd discussion on Twitter, which was was more, more or less entertaining, depending on where you're standing. Um, 
what are your thoughts on this, Sal? Is this, is this a long-running debate that's just going to sort of carry on being discussed over the years? Or do you think there's, there's a time getting close for action in this? And if so, what's I the mean, action going to be? I mean, it has been suggested by, by this document that's on the website, and there are three potential yeah, uh, yeah. sort of situations that could arise. So obviously, one is continue with the rule that we have where you're not supposed to, you're not, you're not, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't get paid. Um, there is one where they're trying to enforce it more, robu- more robustly, it says on the document here. But again, you know, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you find out if a club's playing a player or not? I mean, the example they give is a great example, though, because this is quite an obvious one. There was an example years back of Edmonton, who I don't think play in the league anymore. Um, and they had John Stone and Son of Gabriscoe playing for them. So I think that was quite, quite obvious that them two yeah. were getting paid. But um, in regards to other scenarios where you have players who could be getting paid, you know, how are you going to prove that? And the last one actually is the one that you know, happens in Surrey, in Essex, Hertfordshire and all the leagues around us where players get paid. Um, I do feel, you know, they, 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 there is this sentence that says, you know, um, would it put the league title in the hands of those with the deepest pockets? I don't generally feel that money, you know, is always the sort of solution to buying success. You do need other factors of all to make that happen. Um, I do feel we, mm. as, a, as a league, we've suffered in the last couple of years in the national competition, just due to this, that we can't play first-class players because we don't allow that in terms of them getting paid. And I don't see us as a, as a county winning any of those national competitions in the current, in the next few years, just due to the fact we're not strong enough to cope with some of the clubs who who you know can pay big money and get these guys over. I'm not saying our club should do that, but at least you know if we have someone over in, in playing for, for the Premier League side to enter the competition, it might give them some sort of um, more sort of strength and balance the games out in some respects, but. Um, you know, I've got as I said, I've got mixed views on this. I mean, you know, the other thing is if a club does try and buy success, we've seen it happen in other leagues where you know they get into the prem, they might win the prem or do pretty well, and you know get second or third place, and then the person who's funding it just pulls out, and, and the club just you know, snowballs and disappears down down the, the ladder, ends up in like Division Four, Division Five, and has started over again, which has happened in other leagues in in, in other counties. Um, so that's 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 the negative sort of part of this happening, I suppose. Yeah, usual. What do you make of this? I'm 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 against it, um, and the reason I say that is exactly what Sal's mentioned. There, you hear about the clubs that go through, um, you know, the financial challenges of trying to keep up um, with the Joneses, effectively. You know, if if there is a if, if there is a club that's got a, a beneficiary and there's a large pot of money going, um, you know, I know some clubs that in, in the other divisions that pay all eleven players, as an example, and from that perspective, it's just not sustainable. And I quite like the Middlesex League, uh, you know, the County League, in, in terms of the way we do things. Um, uh, look, there's 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 a few loopholes in the directors of cricket and coaches and all of that sort of stuff. I say loopholes that you know they're the right things to do to make sure that you get the right coaching for your juniors, for your senior members, etc. But you know you've just got to be, um, I suppose, open book about it. And 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 that's the thing that I think when you start saying right, you're allowed to pay players, then it becomes a free for all, unfortunately. And I don't think that's sustainable for cricket. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is a thorny one, and I think there are many people with very good intentions on on both sides of the debate. Um, but sometimes you have to be careful where you end up as a result. And my instinct on this is that um, I'm not totally sure that, that the problem we're trying to solve 
needs to be solved in this way. I mean, we, we know inevitably that, that there's going to be discussions of, of payment of players in club cricket. I mean, it, 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 these discussions will be there. But I think the rules, to me at least, are pretty clear. And, and, and you and I know this, Hughes, that we, we, we obviously have got Monty Panasar playing for us this year and, and, and he'll be playing for us next year too. And so everyone looks at you. Everyone, you know, we, we know that Monty's got 170 or test wickets. We know that um, he's played in other parts of the country. But we also know that if, if we are, if we were to be shown to ever to be paying Monty, then we're in massive trouble. Not only are our personal reputations ruined, but the, the club itself will be, I mean, I don't know exactly what the punishment will be, but it'll be relegation and, and you know, goodness, goodness knows what else, maybe kicked out of the league. So the rules are pretty clear for me. Um, and, and if you claim you don't know what those rules are, then you're not, you're not reading the documents. No. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure that saying anything stronger than what we say will actually change anything, right? Because, you know, you, you're going to allow players to come in who are charging openly for their, for, for their services. And surely you're just going to bring more of the types of finance that's not sustainable with it. So I guess I'm agreeing with you. But I also think the rules that we've got at the moment sort of are pretty clear. If we catch you as a league, you are in trouble. Yeah. Full stop. And, and I think that's a clear message. I agree. Then. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I think the one thing I like, I'm, I'm sure like, like you know, most um, most either chair people or, um, you know, or communications people within the club, you, you get everyone and their brother trying to contact you about... Um, you know, look, I'm a, I'm a player coming over from whichever country, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to move over. And, you know, my line is, unfortunately, in the Middlesex League, we're unable to pay players. Nice and simple. Ends the conversation yeah. really quickly. I quite like that. So, if anything, that's the one reason I'd like to keep it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I have an unwritten rule. I don't know if you have this at North London, Sal, but if anybody mentions money to me in their first email, then I don't care who they are, to be honest. <laughs> There's not going to be much of a relationship moving forward. Um, you know, money sometimes comes out a bit later, and then we end the conversation. Oh. But um, if, they, if they come up straight oh, away, it's all right. I, okay. I do feel, though, in terms of this position of a director of cricket or club coach, I do feel that's, for me, a... Well, it's an awkward one, isn't it? Yeah, it can position, be awkward. Because, I mean, if you look at, if you look yeah, at yeah. cricket and compare it as a sport, there's an X amount of pressure to play the game. Now, if they leave the sport and they want to become a coach, the chance of becoming a county coach is limited just due to the number of counties that are out there. So what would you do next? You might want to go into, into club cricket and, and earn a living, which is, you know, going to help you out during the year. You know, compared to football, how many clubs are there? 92. So an ex-pro's probably got a better chance of becoming a football coach compared to cricket co- cricket player becoming a cricket coach. So I do feel, and, you know, our example, we've had, you know, we've had Will Jones last year. Fantastic example of what a guy can offer, um, in terms of coaching and just being a great presence around the club, he's you know he's there four days a week. He's there at the weekends. You know he's 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 been a great asset to us. Obviously on the pitch, he's been a fantastic player for us. But as a club, we've benefited so much with what he's offered off the pitch in terms of his coaching and just general knowledge of the game. And I think that's great. And I think if, if a club has ability to have someone come in and do that, then I don't think that should be an issue. Personally, can I take that one step further, Sal? I'll be deliberately bit more provocative on this one um the options for former cricketers generally involve going to posh private schools right yeah they get paid a fortune to teach um to, to teach quite frankly the country's um elite how to how to play cricket and why not try and encourage them to go and play yeah. at north london yeah. go and play at twickenham go and play at anyone in the county league because they're going to give more to the broader game than they would be to, to the to the seven percent of people who go to uh, yeah, right. private schools uh, and i i think i think that that role has got a lot more going for it if you then factor in that folks go into secondary schools and, and maybe primary schools to encourage them to play the game as well. 
Um, not that it's not unproblematic. Right. We'll take the, the, clearly, there are some clubs who, 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 who may, and not just in Middlesex, but well beyond, who will uh, you know, not really demand anything of, of their director of cricket. But that's I a think, slightly different point. I, mean, I, I think I, clubs now are more and more becoming, looking, looking at junior cricket and, and, and coaching as a way of, say, as a revenue stream, but as becoming more professional as a club. So, you know, we didn't have coaching camps 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We didn't have one-to-one sessions taking place 10, 15 years ago. Um, and we, yep. Clubs do that now, don't they? You have clubs who who have a coach who can come and deliver a one-to-one session or a group session. Coaching camps are massive income for lots of clubs nowadays. Um, you know, the revenue earned during so. the summer yeah. and the East holidays, putting on these sessions and the kids love it as well. So I think that wasn't an issue. Well, that wasn't around probably 10, 15 years ago. Where it's around now. And if you have a, a coach who's able to come deliver that, then it, like you said, it could be uh, an op- another option compared to maybe teaching in, in, in a private school. Absolutely. Yeah. You, did you want to come in on that? Yeah, I mean, from, from my perspective, I think it's the it's the lifeblood of a of a club now. Um, you know, personally getting involved in in, in Twickenham last year um, in the junior section and you know trialing a bunch of things which worked fantastically well, and now moving on to to this year to now growing our junior section and you know not only not only investing in our juniors but also the people within the club that want to become coaches are putting them on their level one and level two. You know, making sure that they get qualified so that you know, they can possibly make a career out of it, who knows, you know, or, or enjoy yeah. at least what they do. So from our perspective, it's, I think it's, it's the lifeblood of a club going forward. And, you know, we're, we're late to the game in our club, Dan, but, but you look at, you know, the likes of, um, you know, the, 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 the bigger clubs that have been around for a longer period of time. I wouldn't say bigger. The clubs that are well, more the North Middlesex is, the North yeah, Middlesex exactly. is a fantastic exactly. story there, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, how many Middlesex players have they had come through? You know, I think that's yeah. so important. You can see it, I mean, you know, mentioning North Middlesex and Middlesex, you know, there's now scouts that are actually looking at the junior sections um, and, and getting these juniors now to get on the pathway to make sure that, you know, hopefully if there's talent within each of the different regions of Middlesex, then, you know, they then obviously have the opportunity to go and play, you know, um, at, at a level for Middlesex. And, and hopefully we'll see those those young juniors in the Middlesex um, lineup in years to come. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, I could carry on um, wittering on. For, I, I, I've been at an ice panto tonight, guys, so I may be flagging a little bit. Either of you two been to an ice panto? Well, I want to say, Dan, is, um, I mean, how many brownie points is this earned for when you want to sort of nip out and watch some cricket during the summer? Is that, is that, that's, that's got at least two weekends worth. Or, or was it actually you who wanted to go watch the panto, not the missus? <laughs> how dare you, Sal? Don't even dare suggest such a thing. No, I reckon it's got me, um, I mean, yeah, probably maybe two games. Yeah, maybe to all being well. And I, can, can I say it just between us? No one else is listening, right? It was brilliant. I loved it. It was fantastic. And right, they, they, we got there, and obviously, you know, they're all dancing away. And halfway through, they just introduced, like, this couple who were going to do a bit of dancing. I'm not into ice dancing, huge. You know, I know nothing about ice dancing. But so, oh, they came third in the World Championship, these two. I'm like, what? You know, and even I had to be impressed by that. And, and apparently they're British champions, and they're at home in Guildford, where we were. That's their home rink. So all of a sudden... We've got some serious uh, contenders on the ice, um, it's sort of keeping us, you know, showing us, showing us the way it's done. So I thought it was brilliant. But anyway, it, it's late at night. I don't want to drag this on forever uh, uh, with my stories of ice, ice pantos. Is there anything else you want to throw in, guys? What else have we missed? I just want to quickly mention that um, they've, they've restarted face-to-face courses for umpires and, and scorers. Oh, so yeah. anyone's interested yeah. out there, um, want to help your club out in some kind of way um, and become a scorer and umpire. I would suggest going to the Middlesex Cricket ACO website, 
and all the dates and information's on there for when when these courses are going to take place. Um, so yeah, definitely yeah, recommend that if you you know want to want to sort of get involved that side of the game. Good point, Sal. Yeah, I, I did get that correspondence myself, and these things are always worth doing now, aren't they? Of course, because if you do them in the cold midwinter, then you're um, you're ready to roll come come the summer. Absolutely. Yush? I suppose, yeah, just uh, I've got two things. Uh, first of all, a prediction from you guys from the Ashes results. So you uh, oh, England are God. down 1-0 at the moment. Four tests to go. What are your guys' predictions? Maybe, Sal, you can go first. What do you, what do you think? That the... I, I, I said 5-0. You're sticking with that, right? Five, so 5-0. And yourself, Dan? I think I'm probably going to go 7-0. <laughs> you mean they're going to come third out of two? Is that what you think? Exactly. I think it could get even worse than I imagine. Now, I, I think it'll be. I think it'll be five nil. I would have said that before. Sal said it. The one thing I would say is England do also have a tradition of um, of somehow winning a test when it doesn't matter. So once we've gone three nil down, all bets are off. You know, we might win one then, but um, I, I can't. I can't. We're just not going to score enough runs. Huge. I mean, if Joe Root gets injured, we might as well just come home tomorrow. I, I just don't see enough runs on the board. So I'm afraid. I'm in the five 0 territory. You know, well. How you, about you? You're going to be playing. Oh, I think. I think it's going to be tight. Actually, um, I, I said this on one of the other podcasts. Can you pass whatever you're smoking? Yeah, I think. Are you I, sure? I, I said two two because I think you know. I think the day nighters are going to be important, but more importantly, um, you're not playing at the um, the probably the bounciest, hardest wicket in the world because of 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 you know the the COVID scenario over there. Yeah. And you've it's been moved to Hobart, which is um, the first new Ashes venue since 1985. So, yeah, the interesting conversation about that. Though, oh, in that, Australia. Um, yeah, yeah, in Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, the interesting challenge around that is apparently it only holds 29,000 people. So what happens if it is 2-2 going into that final test? It'll be interesting to see. So, yeah. I feel if is doing a lot of work in that sentence. <laughs> if, it, if it is 2-2, I'll be round to watch it with you, all of the fifth test. I'll say that. So um, get your camp bed up. Definitely I... take you up on that, for sure. Uh, and then the last thing is just look out for comms um, around the MCCL. Next year's a big year. Um, yep. It's 50 years of MCCL, so watch out, look out for anything exciting from the the committee. I know that um, I know that uh, that they're working on some stuff in the background, but yeah, looking forward to to being part of um, part of it. Pop quiz: How many um, how many clubs have played in the MCCL over the 50 years? Oh, the answer mind. that we'll go. For, what, we'll we'll get that. Do? We'll get that answer next time. I got. I was going to say including including the season gone. You mean or yes, including the including the season? So including 2021. Um, Clubs that have joined and left, there are a few. Um, mm. um, I'll, I'll, or no longer exist, you mean, as well? Or no longer exist, correct, yeah. Do you um, know the answer to this, Huge? I do, I do. I, you do? Guess, guess oh. who I've been in correspondence with to get that answer. Oh, I was going to say, I think I can hear Paul Smith's laptop whirring yeah. already, but obviously he's already, ah, he's okay. already on it, yeah. So he's, he's the man I got the information from. So, Well, I'll tell you what, me, me and Sal will have a stab. Don't tell us, but I'll, I'll be very interested to get some correspondence from folks. I'm going to guess that. Right, Sal, let's have a think about this off the top of my head because he hasn't briefed me on it. Um, let me think. So we've got, crikey, yeah, this, this, this year changes it all, doesn't it? This year, exactly. You've got the new clubs entering, haven't you? So. Yeah. And do we count the Ultimate Warriors? Because they played two games, didn't they? <laughs> I suppose they, yeah. they can. Um, 117. Don't don't respond to that. 117. Sal? I need to think about this. It's a bit, a bit too much information taken at the moment. Next, next pod, I'll try and come up with an answer. Yeah. Well, I'll, should tweet never I'll, tweet an, I'll tweet an answer. And also, Dan, to answer your question, yep. you asked about five minutes ago, I love Panto. <laughs> Sal, say it quietly. I've got two more on the horizon. <laughs> one, one in Shrewsbury and one a bit more local to us in Ascot. Okay. And it's all because of the kids, obviously. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bring them on. 
bring them on. Yeah. Cool, fellas, as always a pleasure. Um, we'll certainly have a few more of these pods once the AGM has been and gone. I always think we're in the run-up to the cricket season then. Always more material to c- get through. And I really hope that you're right, Yuge. I would love it to be 2-2 going into that fifth test. I've got a feeling you might not be, though. But we will see. We, will we see. might have to get some of our Australian uh, MCCL members on, Dan, too. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Are you, are you sure? <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we go. Um, have a Merry Christmas, guys. And I'll see you, you, on, the you. Other... Dan, you. See you on the other side in the new year. Will be. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. Cheers, folks. See you in a bit. Cheers. Bye. Bye.